The scripture reading is from Acts 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breeding out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to, to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. In the, in the history of the Christian faith, there have been literally millions and millions of personal conversion stories, uh, stories of people whose lives have been radically changed through coming to faith in Christ. And um, these, these conversion stories vary widely. It's like almost no two of them are ever exactly the same. Uh, for some people, their conversion is very dramatic, very sudden. There's lots of emotion. For others, their coming to faith is so subtle and so gradual, they almost don't notice it as it's happening. So these, these conversion stories vary widely, but there's one thing, one thing that they all have in common. They are all stories of grace, of grace. When, when, uh, when people come to know Christ, they usually don't boast about it, right? Let me tell you what I accomplished coming to Jesus. <laughs> people don't talk that way. 
When they come to know Christ, how do we talk? We talk about God's love. We talk about God's kindness, undeserved mercy. It's always a story of grace. And you can see that grace working very clearly in, um, in the conversion story that's described in today's passage. This is the story of how a man named Saul, you may know that later he changes his name to Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. The story of how Saul became a Christian. And in this story, you see grace everywhere. You see God's grace, you see God's grace here working, working in three ways that God always works whenever he brings anyone to Christ. So in this story, here's what you see. You see the Lord seeking. He seeks after Saul. You see the Lord seeking. You see the Lord confronting. And you see the Lord restoring. So first, uh, the Lord seeks Saul here. Now, um, to, to get the context, in the early days of the Christian movement, there was extreme opposition, sometimes violent opposition against the church that arose primarily from the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. And this man, Saul, was one of those leaders. He was one of the religious rabbis in, in Jerusalem, and he hated the Christian faith. In fact, he hated it so much that he got uh, permission from the authorities to travel to a foreign city, Damascus, so that he could arrest and persecute the Christians there. And you see that in verse 1. It's summarized this way. It says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He just, he hated Christians. In, um, in 1927, a British philosopher named Bertrand Russell wrote an essay titled, why I am not a Christian. His essay was over 6,000 words in length. Now, I think that if, the, if Saul had been writing an essay, why I'm not a Christian, I think it would have been twice as long. I mean, he just had all these reasons why he hated the Christian faith. And you see, you see for, for Saul at this time, the Christian faith, it was not simply ridiculous or untenable. It's not just that it was undesirable. He viewed the Christian faith as a threat to Israel. He viewed it as a rejection of, the, of Israel's covenant God. He thought it was heresy. So he just hated Christians. He hated what they believed, hated what they stood for, hated the church. So if you could have gone to Saul as he's traveling on the road to Damascus, he would have told you in that moment that the last thing, the last thing he ever wanted for his life was to become a Christian. And I, I wonder, do you know anyone like that? Maybe you do. They would tell you the last thing they ever want is to become a Christian. Saul was not looking for Jesus. So what did Jesus do? He came looking for Saul. He, he came seeking him. So you heard the story. Saul is he's traveling with his men on the road. There's this bright light. He hears a voice. And did you notice, what did the voice say? First words. Saul, Saul. Jesus not only knew him, Jesus called him by name. Now this, you would agree, is a very unusual story, all right? But in a certain sense, did you know this? this listen, this is what Christ does for anyone who comes to faith in him. Jesus, in John chapter 10, Jesus described himself as a shepherd who, quote, calls his sheep by name. He, in, a, in a deeply personal, very real way, he reaches out to people and calls them to himself. 
In John, John 15, verse 6, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you did not choose me. You might think you did. He said, but no, I chose you. I wonder if when they heard those words, if they thought of the words that the Lord had spoken through Isaiah. Isaiah 65, here's what God said. He said, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. So one, one thing you see in this unusual story of Saul, that's true for anyone who comes to Christ. Whenever anyone really comes to faith in Christ, there's a sense in which Christ first came looking for them. Now, even people who um, will tell you that they consciously, actively, deliberately searched for Christ, and I've known people like that. They, they, I know someone who would say he felt a, a, an emptiness, a hunger inside for spiritual truth. He began to study all the religions of the world. Eventually, he read the Bible, concluded that Christ is, is the answer, came to faith in Jesus. Even people like that will tell you that when, when they look back, they realize that that initial hunger that they began to feel for spiritual truth was not something they manufactured. It's as if God himself was beginning to call them to that process of searching. There's one old hymn where the, the, uh, the songwriter says this, I sought the Lord. Here's what he wrote. He said, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he stirred my heart to seek him, seeking me. He says, it was not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. So in his mercy, here's what God does. He's doing it today, all over the world, perhaps right here. He comes and seeks people. Seek people who uh, maybe don't desire him, certainly don't deserve him. People who perhaps are even running away from him, rebelling against him. Oh, my, he is so gracious and so loving. Even when we don't want him, he comes looking for us. And so I wonder if, if uh, that's encouraging for anyone here today. You have loved ones who perhaps seem far from Christ. Oh, you don't know what Jesus might be up to. Right today, seeking them. Or maybe here today, you feel far from Christ. I wonder if he's seeking you, calling your name. So we see God's grace here, first seeking, then, then we see the Lord confronting. Uh, verse 3 and 4 says, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The Lord, so the Lord literally stopped him in his tracks, knocked him to the ground and confronted Saul with his sin. Now, something you'll want to notice here. When Jesus in this passage spoke to Saul, notice, Jesus did not focus on any specific sinful actions that Saul was committing. He didn't, he didn't say, Saul, why are you so mean? Why, Saul, why are you behaving so violently? Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He didn't focus on any specific sinful actions that, that Saul was doing. And, and sometimes, you know, that's important because we think if, if I could just clean up my act a little bit, there's some things that I know aren't right. If I could just break some of these bad habits, then everything would be okay between, between me and the Lord. But listen, that's not the case. Even if Saul had stopped persecuting Christians, had never done it again, he still would have been lost. 
He still didn't have the Lord. You see, the, the problem, it wasn't any specific action that Saul was doing. The problem was Saul's overall rejection of Christ. So Jesus, notice, he doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? No. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As if to say, why are you rejecting me? Why, why, why won't you trust me? Why won't you follow me? See, the issue was not whether or not Saul was a good boy. Mm -mm. The issue was that Saul was rejecting Jesus, the, the Messiah whom God had sent from heaven. And, and, and this is, well, listen, sometimes, sometimes you'll hear Christians share their conversion story, and uh, it doesn't even really sound very exciting. They'll say, you know what, I, before I came to Christ, I was actually a very morally upright person. I was honest. I was loyal. I paid my taxes. I went to church. I considered myself a Christian. And they'll say, and then one day I realized that even though you know, I wasn't breaking a lot of rules. I, I still had never truly bent my knee before Jesus and just trusted in him, accepted him to be my, to be my Lord. I wonder if that describes anyone here today. You're, you're not, you know, you're not, not a bad person compared to others, but you've never, Jesus wouldn't point out some specific sin you're doing. He'd say you're rejecting me. What, why are you doing this? And, and this is important for us. So, you know, the issue for Saul is not that he was per persecuting Christians. The issue is rejecting Christ. It's important to understand, did you know this? Sometimes we get all upset about our bad habits and our struggles with sin. Jesus is far less concerned with what you do or don't do than he is with whether or not you'll simply come to him and trust him. In, in John chapter 16, uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and uh, he promised them that after he died and ascended to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit into the world, the Spirit of truth. And he said, when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will convict the world of sin. Well, why does the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin? So we will all clean up our act and try to be better people. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said he will convict the world of sin because people don't believe in me. That's what he said. That, so, so the reason God confronts us about our sin is not so that we'll fix this or fix that or improve in this area. The reason he confronts us is because he wants us to come to his son. He wants us to trust in Christ. And so I wonder, has that happened with you yet? Maybe some of you still think of God as some kind of nag who's constantly picking out the little problems in your life. All right, Lord, I'll work on this. That's not what this is about. He wants you to come to his son. Trust in him. So in this story, we see grace. How we see, we see God's grace seeking. We see God's grace confronting. And then finally, you see God's grace restoring. So after Saul is uh, blinded, at least temporarily, by this light, and then led by the hand in, into Jerusalem, Christ appears in a vision to a Christian man who lived in that city, a man named Ananias. And, and Christ says to this man, Ananias, he says, Ananias, I want you to go to this certain place to this man named, there, there's this man named Saul, I want you to go pray with him. And Ananias basically says, Lord, are, are you crazy? 
I mean, are you kidding me? Have you, have you heard about this man Saul? He, say, he says, verse 13, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. It's like, Lord, this man has a warrant for my arrest. You want me to go pray with him? He, he, do you see what was going on? Ananias, he could not conceive of this wicked man Saul ever being anything other than what he already is. He just couldn't imagine it. And let's be honest, sometimes we, uh, sometimes we Christians, we do that, don't we? We just kind of write certain people off or certain classes of people, write them off. We, we, we just dismiss some people as you know, beyond redemption, hopeless, right? Or maybe they're just, we don't go do that, but there's just certain people we never pray for them. We, we wouldn't even think of talking with them about Jesus. We just assume, just to, you ever do that? Just assume she wouldn't be interested. He wouldn't want to hear. But listen, what does the story of Saul teach us? Something we already knew. Do you know this? Nobody, nobody is ever beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. Yes, thank you, Bob. That deserved an amen. No one is beyond. I, Isaiah, Isaiah 59.1, I love these words. It says, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. You say, to save whom? Anyone. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. So, so Ananias, he's like, Lord, you can't be serious. You don't want me to go see Saul. And, and here's what the Lord says to Ananias. He, he basically gives him his arguments. First, the Lord, Lord says, verse 11, he says, first, Ananias, I want you to know he's praying. This man Saul, he's praying. I'm doing stuff in his heart that you can't imagine. He's crying out to me. Second, he says, Ananias, verse 15, he says, he is my chosen instrument. You don't realize it, but I have a plan for his life that would boggle your mind. Then he says to, to Ananias, verse 16, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It's like God is saying, yeah, I know he's, he's got some rough edges. I know he's got a lot to learn, but don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. I will teach him what he needs to know. He says, Ananias, you just go. Just go pray with him. Just go, he's hurting, pray with him. So Ananias goes, and you know the story. This man Saul is transformed. It's one of the, it's one of the great stories of, of, of the New Testament. One of those reasons where you, you, you read this and say, I don't know how else to explain this without the resurrection. It's just he is transformed. His sight is restored. He's baptized, which among other things means he joins the church. Isn't that strange? That must have been a surprising worship service. This man who had come to, to kill them and destroy them, he's up there front uh, joining the church and getting baptized. He, he begins to share the gospel publicly with, with others. He is what? He is a new person. Just new. It's no wonder years later, this same man saw, now going by the name of Paul, he wrote a letter to some Christians in a place called Corinth. And, and I, I, can't, I can't imagine that Paul didn't write this without thinking about himself. Just like, yeah, that's true. This is my story. You know what he wrote to them? 2 Corinthians 5.17, he said this. He said, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, that they are a new creation. How many of you know that's true? If, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. See, the old is gone. The new has come. So God who came seeking and confronting, he just restored this man and made him new.
Now, what do we do with this? Well, Hebrews 13, verse 8, some of you know this verse. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He hasn't changed. The same Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, He's here right now, right now, able to seek those who perhaps are ignoring Him, able to confront us with our, our own spiritual blindness, and able to make us new. So uh, I would say, Christian, you have loved ones who maybe are even running from Christ. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop hoping. Jesus knew, he knew, Jesus knew how to seek you. He can seek them, right? And, and it might be there's someone here today, and, and uh, today you just kind of sense the voice he's calling today is yours. Maybe today you just realize I've, I've never, I'm not a bad person. I come to church, but I've never really, I've never really said to him, I receive you, my Lord, my King. I trust you. Could this be the day he's calling you to do that? Let's pray together. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Any one of us here who knows you, we would just say it's all grace. You've been so good. And we, we would just pray that if there's anyone today who for the first time to hear the, that voice of grace calling them, calling that today would be the day in your mercy you would just give them a new heart, give them the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, give them faith to trust and receive Christ. Do this for your glory and we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.